0: The Sarah Lawrence Theatre Program works, learns, and lives on the land of the Lenape, Munsee, and Wappinger peoples.
1: We pay respect to the ancestors past, present,
0: and future. The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College. After which, we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation.
1: Inspiration is all around us.
0: But how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration. Reflect on past performance performances and projects and keep us up to date on what is next stay tuned for the performance lab podcast with that i would like to welcome everybody to our interview with sybil Kempson. sybil i am so excited (laughs) to be able to talk to you
1: i'm really excited to be talking to you too julia thank you thanks for having me this is exciting
0: yeah i'm really interested in a lot of your insights um, about the industry as it stands and your work as a playwright is something that is particularly um, invigorating to me. It's something that I'm very oh, interested in. Um, but yeah, before we dive in too much, um, do you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, um, hmm. well I'm a playwright And I also teach and I started out as a performer uh, back um, in the mid nineties. And I started writing my own plays to perform in really um, as a way of kind of expressing a performance energy that I had that I couldn't really find a, a complete and thorough Outlet for in the out in the world. I was performing in a lot of other people's pieces, and I sort of came upon it by accident. I was joking around with a friend who was a playwright and is um, and a screenwriter, and we were sort of passing a l- old laptop back and forth. I remember it was this old Toshiba laptop that had Word Perfect and it didn't have windows. It was, um, you know, the letters were green and there was like a blinking cursor. And that was and that was how we wrote our plays or whatever we were yeah. writing. And it would go into a three and a half inch floppy disk, which I still have all those disks. And um, somewhere, there's somewhere around here. And um, anyway, so that was how it started. And I just, it sort of snowballed from there. But I think it's kind of important that it started out as sort of a, like a mischievous act. And uh, I was joking around with a friend and we were sort of one-upping each other. And there was a sense of like, oh yeah, well, what about this? And then passing the computer over to him. And then, oh, oh really? Oh, what about this? What are you going to do with this? And then, you know, so sort of we wrote something that was very outlandish And, and that was it. He was a real playwright. And I was, you know, a performer and we were friends and we were just joking around. And, um, I don't know, maybe two or three years later, this woman, Judy Elkin, who was an incredible artist in so many respects. And I think still is. I'm, I think, I know she was not living in New York for a really long time. Uh, she moved away to several different, I think she was in Oakland last I heard. And she and Kristen Cosmas another playwright, started um, a performance series called Little Theater, which I don't know whether Little Theater still exists. I know it used to happen at Dixon Place. And when I started, it was at this place called Tonic, which was also a music venue that had a stage and there was a bar right in yeah. the room. And the last Monday of every month, they would have these twenty-minute performances. A bunch of a bunch of different artists would sort of gather. It was a great way to sort of experiment. Yeah,
0: it looks. It was like, a great community. It looks like it's still available. It's still part of the Dixon Place website.
1: Okay, so that's good to know. I know uh, Jeff Jones uh, ended up taking it over and ran it for a while. There used to be a lot of those um, series. Mm-hmm. So this was a long time ago. This would have been about. Uh, 1999, I guess. And I used to go to see it because it was a great way, um, to sort of gather with friends and see who was working on what. And everything was always such a hoot. There were no rules. It wasn't, um, an event that was trying to make a lot of money. Um, it wasn't really about that. There wasn't, um, a, a very stringent sense of curation. It, it was more of a community event. And, um, so judy said you know it would be great if you would do something sometime i said oh i would love to i'll have to look and see um if i have any plays that i could work on and she said oh you have to write it yourself it's all original stuff which I, somehow never occurred to me and she said oh have you ever written anything and i said you know i did write something and um with my friend matt and i wonder if we could just do that and she said yeah that would be great so i called matt and i said do you want to do it And he said yes <clears throat> and we had gone to college, undergrad together. And uh, so I knew that he also had performed and he was really excited. And we rehearsed in his backyard. This was back when you could still have an apartment in New York with a backyard yeah. um, for like, you know, an artist's, uh, I think he was a waiter also at, at that time. And um, and so we rehearsed it and we we did it at Little Theater and it was like, I just kind of felt this energy uh, coming through. And it was like uh, this energy of expression that I used to feel when I was a kid, when I would, you know, I was always kind of pulling different stunts as a kid and um, seeing what I could get away with. And and it was that sort of feeling. There was an outrageousness about what we were doing. And uh, it it helped me a lot. There was something that I needed to express uh, within myself. And so that's that's when I really started writing plays, but it started as sort of an act of um, rebellion and subversion in, in a way. I wasn't really taking it seriously at first and uh, really not until I went to grad school um, and Mack Wellman had started the Brooklyn College program and it was still very new. And I had taken a workshop with him uh, that he was doing at I think it was at uh, in the Soho rep at Walker Space, mm. and um, it was called Pataphysics, which was named after the um, the Alfred Jarry essay and sort of like a manifesto called Pataphysics, which was so great, very also very rebellious, and so he was sort of recruiting for that that Brooklyn College program and. Uh, he talked me into applying and I I, I I, didn't really take myself seriously as a playwright, but uh, I ended up getting in and um, it changed everything for me. And he really um, gave me a sense of permission about what I was doing and a sort of um, affirmation that what I was doing was real because I'd never considered it I was never like a real playwright. you know, I was barely a real performer, you know. So uh, that changed a lot for me. So that's kind of how it all started. And he had um, he had a great way of egging you on. Not only would he give permission about what you were doing, but he would egg you on. and he was very, is very perceptive about people and about other writers he was able to just, he would say things like, you've lost your mind and this is deeply disturbing. (laughs) And it was like, I see you smiling and laughing. And that was the feeling and it would sort of get you, it would get us going or it would get me going. And so I would find myself writing more and more outrageous things to sort of participate in this sort of giddiness of... That one feels when one is doing something wrong. <clears throat> and so that has stayed really important to me. and uh, and you know, we were talking the other day in Grad lab about the right way to do something and the wrong way to do something. And so there was a sense of espousing the wrong, the wrongest way possible. and and pushing that, seeing how far that could be pushed. And so my teaching kind of lives there and in my own work, I try to make it live there. Uh, It gets harder as you get older because you become so much more serious and your energy changes and uh, there isn't that um, uh, live wire, wildness. Uh, that you have when you're younger. So um, it's not the same, but it's still there. And I, I still feel quite driven by that and by a certain, a questioning, I guess, of of what values are, what our values are and where they come from and why things are the way they are. Why can't they be a certain other way? And uh, so uh, confronting structures and systems uh, at my own, <laughs> at my own peril, most of the time. But, um, but that's yeah, that's the deal, I guess. So that's it. Yeah,
0: that's that's amazing, and that brings up a couple of really interesting things that, like, I've been experiencing in my own work that I want to get mm-hmm. into before I get into some of the questions that I actually had. Um, just because. And you're a
1: playwright, also. I am,
0: um, but I am pretty right. new to the world of. I'm in the transition period, from performer, from just a performer to a performer and a writer.
1: Okay. And so you're writing stuff for your same thing? I'm you're writing, writing, writing stuff, stuff for, for
0: myself um, and my friends. No. And it's definitely great. Um, a really freeing experience of sort of realizing it's my story. So if I want this to happen, I can make yes. that happen.
1: Yes. And you're allowed to do whatever you want.
0: Yes. And that has been so incredible of sort of like, I can ask the questions and I can provide not even like my own answers, but I can provide possibilities.
1: Yeah. Or more questions. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely. Or more
1: problems.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that sort of awkward space of like going from being Just thinking, you're just a performer, and thinking you're in this one box to sort of like opening yourself up to realizing that you can have that you can wear so many hats.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I wonder what makes you say that it's an awkward. Does that is it awkward for you? Do you feel awkward? I think in that like I think the dual role or something.
0: I think I personally have once I once I I realized that I wasn't just one thing it's like what's the neat little tagline that you would put for yourself on your website Uh, and then I realized that's kind of not important Uh anymore
1: yeah and that
0: realization I don't think it was awkward so much as like a growing point
1: ah yeah Mm -hmm. and there's a sense isn't there of kind of how am I going to contend with the expectations definitely and it's like the expectations that could be A lot of the time, those expectations are internalized from the shoulds, right? We were talking about the shoulds the other day. What we can and can't do, what we think we can and can't do because somebody told us at a certain point when we were impressionable what the right way and this is the way that you can do it and this is the way you're allowed to do it. And actually, we're still a free country, at least on paper. And there aren't... I mean, I I always feel like, and you know, I should have gone back even further when you asked me, tell me about yourself, because I was doing these little plays when I was a kid. Well, I guess I did talk about them a little bit, and we would do them in school. We had this really wonderful program in the public elementary school that I went to in New Jersey where we could do different projects, and uh, I did uh, adaptations, and I wrote adaptations of, um, there was one myth cycle that had Theseus and the foot washer and then we did a Ponce de Leon and I mean I was like in fourth grade or wow. something and they were kind of crazy. Um and I remember I um I had some of the boys, like the really macho macho boys, like I guess as macho macho as you can be, uh, <laughs> at eight, eight or whatever or nine, dress up in my dress up clothes. I always had this garbage bag full of these old clothes, these dress up clothes that I would Play around with when I was at home. And I brought them in and I was like, okay, you guys are gonna be the fountain fairies at the fountain of youth. And they had to sing a song. I made up a song that they had to sing, and they were reluctant, but they did it. And it was like every step of the way, I was waiting for someone to say, no, stop this. This is not happening. And it was like this sense of what can I, what can I get away with? And to my great surprise, there was no like the principal never came in. We had like this principal would yell and scream at everybody all the time in the lunchroom because we would get too loud in there. And I kept waiting for him to come in and do his very loud whistle or whatever and be like, "No, this has to stop right now." But nobody, nobody stopped it. So I, I guess we all have that um, that voice. From wherever we get it, I think my mother uh, is part of that voice. It's it's like what what um, what are the rules? What are the parameters? What are the regulations? What you can and can't do? And so, a lot of our work, I know for me definitely, and I see this in a lot of students and other playwrights too, is about how are you going to contend with that? And so what those expectations are, what those demands are, and uh how are you are you know, are you going to behave yourself or not? It's it's a that's a big that's kind of a central uh question for me. So I kind of feel like um for for a lot of us the awkwardness is in am I going to fulfill this expectation and or not? And, and then figuring out whose expectation is it? Is it really my own expectation? Is it? Is it somebody else's? Am I in a system where there is a, a certain set of expectations that I must uphold? And what are my goals? What um, Or what does success mean? What am I actually after? Uh, and so why am i doing this (laughs) is a really good question i think to continually ask because that helps keep us moving in 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 the right direct or the right direction or a a direction that has energy yeah so um there is that awkward place and and a lot of it is well I've never seen someone do both, or I've seen someone do both, but I don't know if that's okay to do here, or whatever it is. I don't know if it's okay to mess to, to mess up the English language, or um, I don't know if it's okay to write a, a story that's outside of the hero's journey narrative or the Aristotelian structure. Um, well, why don't you try it and see what happens? You know, <laughs> and if you're not brought out of the place in handcuffs, then I guess you got away with it, yeah. right? Exactly. So it's like we really do get to do whatever we want, um, and uh, depending on on what we're after and and, uh, and and what we want the end result to be, um, we we are able to define our own rules for ourselves. And and I think that's really uh, important to realize as, as an artist and to uh, take advantage of mm-hmm. uh, to the fullest extent possible it's kind of our job yeah in a lot of ways yeah definitely
0: mean. to to for lack of a better phrase like yes and in a right. sense of sort of like yes I can do all of these things and I'm going to take them to their logical conclusion or even their illogical conclusion. or their
1: illogical yeah beautifully put Julia thank you beautifully put
0: yeah it's like we had a thing that we that one of our professors would always say to us in undergrad which was whenever we like made a big choice or we're vulnerable or something in our performances Uh and he would always say you know the walls didn't fall down around you yeah and it's it's just a thing that you have to remind yourself in every step of an artistic process is like the building isn't going to fall down it's not going to be the end of the world if you don't meet your own expectations because that's Mm -hmm. really what they are it's more your expectations yeah. for yourself than that you're like assuming mm-hmm. other people have for you. Right. Oh,
1: that word assuming, right? We assume so much and it's we have to question our own assumptions all the time. What am I assuming? And I'm saying that and I, there's a few areas of my life where I know that I'm assuming something that I don't necessarily need to assume. So it's always kind of ferreting those out. And getting to the bottom of them and seeing what really is necessary and, and what's not that might be blocking. Exactly. Might be blocking us from what we might make.
0: And that sort of brings me into like the one of the questions that I had for you, which was when you're making something, how do you fulfill the full artistic process while also keeping in mind that you're going to have to edit some things and you're going to have to cut some things? Like still keeping that critical eye.
1: Uh huh. Well, I think we have different modes. This is what I've observed in myself. And I've observed this in others as well. And it's very difficult, if not impossible, for most people to be in a creative, generative mode. I know it's hard for me when I've got that inner critic going. you can't write that. It's going to be too long. It's going to be boring. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be stupid. All of those things, um, those thoughts, those are shoulds. You know, you could rephrase any of those really easily as shoulds, right? So they're coming from this place of you can't do that. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point. Or you
1: have to do it this way. So when you're in creative generative mode, the less of that, the better. And so it's always been my way to make a big pile and to not question what wants to come through when you say and big to pile, let the thing. What do you mean? <laughs> was, I, love, I love your expression. Um, well, if you're writing something, it's a big pile of writing. Mm, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, if you're devising something with others, it's a lot of material if you're researching something it's a pile of research material that may or may not be ordered or orderly yet you might make a mess and in fact i encourage myself and others to make as much of a mess as possible because if you're not willing to make a mess then you can't really explore very far.
0: Definitely, you're going to be
1: limiting yourself. You're going to be cutting off, uh, shutting down possibilities, cutting off pathways, um, closing doors, closing windows. When what you want to be doing in a creative mode is opening doors and opening windows and exploring, and going into unknown territory and and seeing what's there and trying things. And so, trying to keep things neat and in an orderly fashion and you know, kind of well-behaved too early, that's what writer's block is, I think. Yeah. Is you sort of have this crisis of, um, I had a student a few years ago, Katie Warner uh, from Sarah Lawrence would say, it's a crisis of confidence mm. in a way because you don't have the confidence to um, move forward. You're letting those, whatever those internalized expectations or external expectations shut you down. So this is a danger mostly within ourselves, but I've also seen it in, you know, script workshops, development workshops, where you've got something going, something's on fire, you know, it's really cooking. And someone will come along and say, you know, with all the best intentions, you know, this doesn't really work for whatever reason. And there's always like a really good, really logical reason why this doesn't work. And so we get stuck. Because we don't know what to do. It's it's not, we've been told it's not working and we don't know how to make it work. So now we're not even out of generative and creative mode, and we we're in this sort of obligatory fix it, fix it mode, edit it, cut it down. It's too long, it's too this, it's too that. And so for me, and what I encourage in students, because I often see students start to panic, want to go into. They don't want to go into it, but they feel they should be going into editing mode. And it's like you haven't even finished what you're exploring. And it gets a little scary because a lot of times we're on this, you know, timeline. The semester is coming to a close, or you have a deadline and um you're on a production schedule, you know, and so creativity doesn't really care too much about our schedules. (laughs) So that's the other kind of danger is how far can you let yourself go before the thing has to be handed in before opening night, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever these uh, deadlines are. So it's a it's a balance, I think. And I've had things um, go into production and open and have a run and close before I really understood what they were about. Definitely. You know, Uh, or before I felt like they were finished or before I felt like I figured out the puzzle of it. And that's risky. You know, there's a lot of risk in working that way, but I really do feel like that's the way for one's work to be the most authentic and original and from a place of um, spark, real spark, is uh, when you're working where... The en- there's energy for you, not where there's not. And when we're focusing on shortcomings of a piece or what's wrong with it, or we're holding it up to a standard or some ideal, um, like the exercise we did the other day, you know, what's the ideal that we're up against? It's not so much fun, you know, to, <laughs> to be comparing ourselves to that. It's it's it, it's more. There's more energy in saying, "Let me see, let me see what happens." Uh, at least for me. Yeah,
0: there's there's so, something to be said yeah. for letting the work fully become what it needs to become.
1: Yeah, and for letting it have its own life. Yes. And to let it tell us what it wants. Mm-hmm. Yes. What it wants to be, how it wants to be structured, and so at a certain point, and again, this doesn't always come at the convenient moment, <laughs> the convenient time, with the convenient timing, your piece will tell you. Like you'll see a structure emerge or an organizing principle make itself known. And then once you have that, it's very easy to edit because you don't have to question, right? You don't have to question, oh, do I need this, do I not? I know what the journey is that I'm packing for, so I know what to take and what to leave behind. I know what to put in the suitcase so that it's not too heavy, so that the piece is not too long. And sometimes the stuff that I cut out of a piece is the beginning of another piece. I'll cut it and put it in another document and it'll become another piece later on down the road.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's. I think that's really valuable to to realize that like, because one of the questions I sent you was sort of this idea of like, we hear the phrase kill your darlings in Mm -hmm. a lot in Mm -hmm. the writing world in particular, I feel. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I've never particularly liked it because that seems so permanent of like, Mm -hmm. You're just saying – And violent. Yeah. And it's like you don't need – maybe this part isn't needed right here, but that doesn't mean it will never have its own space.
1: Right. Right. I guess. You know, I never really understood that whole thing. I'll just admit right now.
0: I I hear it so much and I'm like, but what do you really mean?
1: I think it has something to do with the ego stuff that we put in, that we have attachments to, that we don't want to cut because – we're attached to it for some personal reason. And yeah, I, I, I sort of feel like once a piece is in production or it's in a workshop or people are getting on their feet to perform it and you're either in it or you're in the audience, you're going to know where it drags. There's a visceral experience of what you've written. And so sometimes there's trouble between what's the intellectual exploration that you're doing and what is the visceral experience that you're having and i think the kill your darlings thing at least in theater for me is is somewhere in there you know are we going to become attached to ideas or concepts that we're trying to work in and i get guilty of this sometimes because i get excited about ideas i get excited about stuff discoveries I make in my research. And I want to put those into it. And it's sort of like when you're sitting in a theater and you're having, it's almost a physical experience or at its best, I think, you know, it can be, it's like, what part of the audience am I asking to be activated at any given moment and for how long and what is the tolerance? And uh, and we know that its it, we feel it like In the pacing i guess and in where we start to when things are becoming too stagnant in some way we need for something to happen or you know we sort of begin to be able to feel that stuff out and so i think A lot of the editing that I've done is when the thing is about to be performed and we're sort of up the proverbial creek, the thing is too long, we have to go through and cut some stuff. And I usually ask somebody to help me and and I usually ask an actor to help me. Where is it feeling too heavy? Where is it feeling, you know, what do we need and what don't we need? And that's sort of, what do we need? What can we throw overboard? What can we take out of the suitcase so we can get it through security? (laughs) So to I know
0: that personally was a big learning curve for me was yeah. specifically learning that I can ask other people for their insight yeah and that I shouldn't do it all on my own and again that gets into should and shouldn't but I shouldn't in the sense of like there's no I, you don't have to
1: yeah you don't have to do it all on your own you're that's when you're not alone and I think sometimes even hearing it read is feedback in fact let me change that that's all the time hearing a reading of it is feedback so that always tells me a lot when i hear it read or when i read it out loud to a group of people and i start to notice where do i where do i get tired as i'm reading it to them where do i see them start to fidget or space out you know Um, And you can feel that. It really is like theater is really about what do we feel in this room right now. And so it's kind of this beautiful blending I'm realizing as I'm talking of this sort of immediate moment and something that has been prepared, you know, in these various, various states. And I think a lot of writing for performance is kind of letting Whatever wants to come through, come through, and staying out of the way as much as possible. I think we were talking about that a little bit the other day also.
0: Not getting out of your own way, but like allowing yourself to travel down whatever path.
1: And getting out of the way of the thing that wants to come through you. You know, it almost has less – it's almost like an animist perspective. Like the thing has its own life. It wants to come through you. You're like a lightning rod. Mm. And so killing your darlings is like, don't be grabbing that stuff as it comes through. Like just let it through and see what it see what it wants to be, rather than grabbing and cementing or um criticizing too yeah. much. You know, let 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 the darlings live, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> save the darlings I don't know I don't know yeah
0: um but that sort of gets us into another thing that I was interested in which is um when you're in getting into that production phase of sort of like Mm -hmm. first of all knowing let's say I've got a piece and I'm like it's quote-unquote finished or I'm I'm Mm -hmm. happy enough with it that I can show it to other people and I want to get it published get it produced some sort of like next step Mm -hmm. what what are those next steps in this sort of current theater climate
1: Hmm. well i'll say the climate is tough right now for any many many myriad reasons and so there aren't as many options like when i'm telling that story about little theater and my friend and i doing that play it was a very different landscape and so at least in New York, and I think in a lot of other places, things hadn't been gentrified to the degree that they have. There's really no room for artists in in uh, in our economy, in our culture. Um, there's room for people who make entertainment. There's room for people who make advertising. And there's not a lot of room for people who make artwork. And it's not very highly valued unless it's making a lot of money. And so I think that that is going to change. I don't think that it will keep going in the direction that it's going. I think something, I think we're in for way more changes just in in general than what we've already seen. And uh, anyhow, but for the moment, it's very tough. Uh, It's like, how are you going to live? How are you going to make something? How are you going to enter into this institutional landscape where you've got this not-for-profit theater model uh, or cultural model that is kind of outdated at this point? And there's a lot of gatekeeping. Um, There's a lot of institutions making very safe decisions in terms of of what they're producing and presenting. So, uh, it's not easy to make something uh that is taking formal risks. So, that's something to be thinking about as we start to look at our piles. Mm. Uh how how what's the what is the larger conversation? That this work is contributing to, and where is that conversation happening, and and what is uh, what's the tone of how I want to enter that conversation? Am I walking and swinging? (laughs) You know, am I tiptoeing? Am I? uh, glad handing, you know, (laughs) am I insinuating? How am I, how am I entering? How am I coming into this landscape? And so, and and what's, what do I hope to achieve? Uh, you know, they say you, you can't make a living in theater, but you can make a killing. (laughs) You know, it's like, do I want to make a fast, you know, hundred thousand dollars? Do I want to make a point? Do I, um, do I want to make a culture, like a microcosmic culture? Do I, do I want to make a cover a conversation? Do you know, w- what am I making besides a piece of theater? Uh, what do I, what do I see it? Uh, how do I see it happening? How do I envision it when I when I picture it happening? And sometimes this is, in fact, oftentimes this is uh, also a place where the help of your peers uh, is invaluable because they'll say, "Oh, you know how I see it." You know, and they'll have some vision. It's in a barn in the middle of the night while there's a meteor shower going on outside. You know, and uh, we have to whisper because we can't wake up the neighbors. Or um, it's in a tunnel underneath. You know. Uh, underneath an overpass or a drainage ditch or uh, uh, a dry riverbed, which is I think where no theater started because so it was forbidden at first, a dry riverbed. can you imagine? it so must have been so gorgeous. And um, so and then going from there and saying, you know, knowing what the institutions are up to what what institutions are going to be game for something like this maybe none right now and so do i make my own institution how do i how do i get this to people and so there may be discrepancies on what you envision and uh what your possibilities are what your options are and so there you've got creativity coming in again and in sort of a production sense and that's where a really uh, adventurous director can come in handy or an, an adventurous group of people who get what you're doing get what you're after um or people uh, a group of people that you can articulate uh what you're after to so um that's also part of development i think you know is it fine just in a black box is that the the delivery system that uh that works best for it uh that honors uh what wants to come through? How does it want to be? How does it want to enter into the world, into the conversation and what conversation? And then, yeah, you go from there. I know for me, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that um, it was going to go better if I either did it myself, DIY style, or if someone was interested in doing it, that I just hand it to them and I say, call me with questions and and that I'm not in the rehearsal room and that they have freedom to uh, make their own performance text to go with the written text Mm. uh, or to be in the room intermittently or uh, some kind of alternative uh, way of working. But I always, uh, encourage people to find the way that the work wants to be seen and to be creative about that as well, which is a really tall order in the current landscape in the current ecosystem, I guess. Definitely. Um, cause it is very, very limited.
0: Yes, I I definitely agree. I've been, cause you know, it- even just the audition grind mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. not sustainable. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's sort of the world that I come from mostly mm. is the expectation that like once you graduated, you would go out and you would audition and you would wake mm. up for those like cattle call auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course I graduated into a pandemic. So that completely changed
1: everything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
0: And I think a lot of us are and grappling. so a lot of people in the industry are, are yeah, go, grappling with the overhaul that hasn't quite happened yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're kind of everyone's sort of waiting. Um, from what I understand, there's a massive contraction coming to the theater. Industry, world, whatever you want to call it, um, where these larger theaters are just, they're not going to be able to keep going the way that they've been going. And so we're all kind of waiting to see what those changes are going to be like and who's going to be left standing. And, you know, in the meantime, people are making theater in their bedrooms. <laughs> you know, I had, um, an artist I was working with who just said, I'm going to, yeah, people are going to come to my bedroom. Uh, in fact, I, I know a few people who have, who've done it that way. And so, you know, the audience is four people at a time or one person at a time, or there's always street performance, subway performance. Um, you know, what, what are the ways where creativity can, uh, help bring your work in into the world? also outside of outside of the box just as much as as your writing or your performance style is
0: yeah i i definitely think um i don't know i imagine like a plant like growing through the sidewalk
1: mm-hmm. of
0: sort of like yeah making that space for yourself
1: mhm mhm yeah and 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 really asking the stuff that you're making how do you want to be like The stuff that you're making is coming through in this moment for a reason, you know? It's, uh, it is like that plant. It is growing through that crack in the pavement. And so how does it, how does it want to grow? How does it want to come through? How can we um, protect it? How can we uh, build something around it so that it can grow and blossom? Uh, It's a nice, it's a nice metaphor. You know because it, it really is like those slabs of pavement um but human expression has to come through in one way or another definitely so yeah just figuring out how do i want it to be how can i how can i make it how can i make it happen
0: exactly amazing well thank you so much for your time and your wisdom
1: Julia, thank you. And um, for everything that you've shared also, what a pleasure to talk with you about all this stuff. And I, I learned a lot as, as we were talking. Thank you. So thank you. All right. Yeah. Um, That's great.
0: Sign us off for this week. Okay. Um, thank you all for listening.
1: The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network
0: in association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.slctheater.com.